0: Hello folks, welcome back. I'm your host Simon Ward and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We chat with all of our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships and happiness. Because no matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a personal best at your next race, or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has real significance. One way that you can improve performance is by improving your nutrition. If you'd like to take your diet from good to better to best, I'll be running a performance nutrition course in January. The cost is 47 pounds and you can register your interest by adding your name to the list. And you can find a really obvious link in the show notes below another way to improve day-to-day and race day performance is with strength and mobility you've probably heard me talk about this a lot and i consider it a priority for all athletes my guest today is a lady who works with many of the top long distance triathletes including the top three female athletes at the recent 70.3 world championships taylor nib paula Findlay, and emma Pallant brown erin carson is based in that other triathlon mecca, not Yorkshire, but Boulder, Colorado. And she's going to share with us her thoughts on why this is such an important part of your program and how you can incorporate mobility and strength work into what I'm sure is an already busy schedule. So without further ado, let's hear from Erin. Oh, welcome to the show, Erin Carson.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: Well, it's an absolute pleasure. And I, um, you know, you are part of a long list of um, amazing people I've had on from Boulder. It's a fantastic community there, isn't it? That you've got some of the world's leading exercise science practitioners and scientists um, are in that locality.
1: You're not kidding. I think it starts at the university. And I think that having uh, a small town, with a big university and a and a keen keen interest in high performance uh i think we started with running with frank shorter
2: mm-hmm. and
1: kind of shifted into triathlon with mark allen and and dave scott and then it's it's amazing how you can just get these little epicenters of of interest and like-minded people who begin mm-hmm. to gather and mm. uh and now here we are yeah
0: it must be the it must be the clear mountain air that you all have that enables you to think so uh, so sharply
1: yeah, sometimes it's an advantage until it's not.
0: But yes. <laughs> um, so, for the listeners who might not be aware of exactly what you do, you are in the background behind some of the world's leading long-distance athletes at the moment. You are their strength and uh, conditioning coach. If 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 there's a better term, then then please let me know. Uh, but you, but you're the person who. Um, builds the framework that holds them together that enables them to get to the finish line looking so good um and I'm really you know I'm I'm keen on this as well it's it's something that I've worked in for a long time and I'm really keen to promote this to triathletes as much as possible because I do think for a lot of them it's a missing link but I'm I'm really interested to hear about your background Erin um how you got started um how you got into strength training and how you ended up working with all these great triathletes
1: you know, sometimes I ask myself that same thing, um, but it's—I think it starts with a lot of passion to see people do well in what they want to achieve. Um, for me, I was an assistant basketball coach uh, at a Tulane University, um, where I first got the opportunity to work as the strength coach for uh, women's basketball, and I was a coach on the floor, but I was also in charge of um, their strength and conditioning and. My degree from the University of Colorado is in kinesiology. In my fifth year of university, I achieved my Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, CSCS, um, which to me is a credential of distinction, Mm -hmm. and and just the strong scientific foundations of, of athletic performance. And when I went from Tulane University, I went to the University of Nebraska. And Nebraska at the time was perennial national champions in football. And the head of that, and now the athletic director, if not the president of the university, I think he might even be Boyd Epley, um, was in charge of the strength and conditioning. And he really began, Mm -hmm. in my opinion, the modern movement towards understanding how a strong and powerful athlete can really contribute to longevity and success. So the healthier and stronger an athlete is, then we can start to achieve more wisdom in sport because there's no, there's less injuries. There's more of a constant progression in sport. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so being around the university of Nebraska, um, I wasn't in charge of the strength and conditioning, but I could see the greatness that it was propelling, um, within the athletic athletic department.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And Boyd then went on to found the National Strength and Conditioning Association and be the founder and created the the credential that I value so much. Mm -hmm. So as I came out of college basketball, I really um, I was in Boulder and I understood football and basketball as many strength coaches. That's at least in the US. That's where we begin. Um, But I really loved running. And I really loved riding. I mean, I'm a basketball player, so I was never a world-class runner or world-class cyclist, which led me to triathlon because I'm not really very <laughs> good at anything other than I'm pretty good at all three of those other things. And being around, um, I own a gym here in Boulder, a 40,000 square foot gym uh, called Rally Sport. And uh, we just host a lot of really great runners uh, within our our club. And we also have a couple swimming pools. So we started attracting a lot of triathletes. And a friend of mine introduced uh, Timothy O'Donnell to me. And Tim sat down. And at that point, CSCS really sets you up. As you know, Simon, because you are one, it sets you up to understand the strong scientific foundations of, of what has been researched, the science, the proven entities around performance and and, uh, and athletic development. But by then, I had started really thinking more about movement and movement quality, and the Institute of Motion and the the gentleman that uh, that invented that is a, is Michal Dalcourt. and Michal M I C H O L founded um, the Institute of Motion. So I started digging deeper and starting to understand evidence based thought processes around performance rather than just research and being limited to what had already been studied. We started to question a lot of the research, not the validity of what had been discovered, but also to see the, how the applications of studying 23-year-old Army sergeants, um, how that translated to a 30-year-old triathlete. It, it started not necessarily uh, connecting all the dots. And so we had to start saying, anecdotally, this makes sense that if my athletes can move better and I can create strength and mobility within that uh, realm of performance, then that athlete's going to have more success. And so when Tim and when Tim sat down with me at that point, I was like, you know, Tim, you're, you're one of the best triathletes in the world. We're not, I don't think I can make you a better triathlete what I think I can contribute to you is I can make your training easier for you, which then your coach and his coach at the time was Cliff English. um, Then Cliff can push you harder because you'll have more resilient tissue. And I didn't say muscle and he goes, tissue, what's tissue? And we started talking about that muscle wasn't everything.
0: I was reading through Um, a list of 50 top tips from Katie Ledecky's training, Katie Ledecky, the swimmer. And about three quarters of the way down, I came across one where it talked about the strength training. And the coach said the strength coach was there to build a resilient athlete. He wasn't there to help her be a faster swimmer. His job was to make sure that she could turn up on poolside as often as possible so that I could then help with the streamlining and the, and the aerobic fitness. And to me that, that, you know, particularly in endurance sports, b- building that resilience so people can either cope with the training better or absorb the training better and turn up more often it is, is a fundamental principle of what we're both trying to achieve.
1: 100%. And so we, there, there's a little saying that we train movement, not muscle. Mm-hmm. And there's sounds a lot like, of people. It sounds who-
0: like Tudor bumper.
1: Yeah, yes, exactly. You you know your you know your people. We are, we are fans of the same same gang. And when you train movement and you can observe movement in a really critical way, you mm-hmm. can start to recognize movement dysfunction, and then you can start a process of optimizing movement, mm-hmm. using mobility, using flexibility, using all this huge toolbox of of what's available to us to help the athlete be in a better position physically Mm -hmm. to be able to train harder. And I think, yeah, that's, um, that's what kind of sunk it I think for Tim and Mm -hmm. we trained for two weeks and then Rennie came and Rennie's like, okay, Tim says, you know what you're talking about? I think I want some too, but just so you know, I don't like lifting weights. And Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, Sounds like, a
0: why, lot, sounds like a lot of triathletes, right?
1: Yeah. And I don't blame her. You know, she develops muscle quite quickly. I've worked with Rinny now for almost 10 years or just over 10 years. And, you know, and I've been through several coaches with both of them, um, sport coaches. And the thing with Rinnie is you don't, a lot of the stuff we do with Rinnie to keep her resilient doesn't look like traditional strength training. Mm. And that's the stuff that you learn as a CSCS. You really learn traditional strength training. Mm. But then you have to have this open mind towards looking at different tools like we use a lot of vipers we use a lot of kettlebells but not necessarily in tradition we don't swing kettlebells we we might just move them around in different ways to create challenges for the tissue so she has fun with the strength training we we've you know she's never never said i want to stop doing this and as a matter of fact she's like when are we doing it again usually so to take somebody who who didn't want to lift weights, uh, come mm-hmm. into my world. Um, and I've got a few of them that don't like gym, but now they do. So that's good.
0: I've got my kettlebells right down here so I can pick one up and, uh, do some stuff. Um, and I've been in, in the last few years, I've been getting into yoga. My, my physio, um, kept saying to me, you need more mobility in here, Simon, you know, it's traditional weights isn't, isn't, um, where it's at really for you. You need more of this. And it took me ages to get going now. I'm a religious convert. I'm 45 minutes every morning. It's the first thing I do after I brush my teeth is, is get on the yoga mat. And I'm busy trying to work out some new flow routines now for some body weight strength and you know just to get me moving in the morning. And uh, it's brilliant. I wanted to come back to um, better movement. Um, reminds me of a conversation I had with Kelly Starette, Supple Leopard. I'm sure you're aware of Kelly. Um, and I'm not I sure. I consider
1: all these people like the founders of yes. this movement. I, I consider myself boots on the ground. Like I get to take all the mm-hmm. things that Kelly Starrett or Tutabamba or, uh, Ed Boyd Epley, and I get to play on the mm-hmm. front lines and I'm willing to do the work. You know, I was at work this morning at 5 AM working with athletes. Um, and, and I love doing that. So mm-hmm. we all have different lanes that we've played in, but Kelly is so generous with his knowledge and wisdom. I feel like I I have benefited, and so have all my athletes.
0: Yeah, I had a I had a fantastic conversation with Kelly, and um, I um, did a podcast with the gentleman you you may not be so familiar with called Shane Benzi. Shane wrote a book called The Lost Art of Running, and um, people would say Shane is a running coach, and he says I'm not a running coach. I'm a movement coach. I don't prescribe. Intervals. I don't prescribe volume runs. I don't look at the overall program. I'm trying to get people to move better. He said, I'm not bothered about four foot running about heel striking. He said, what I'm about is, is getting, he, he talks about fascia a lot. So he, if you've read the book, natural born heroes about the Cretans who used to bounce from rock to rock. Um, he likes, na- um, um, what was the other one? The barefoot running book born to run. Yep. Um, And those things, he talks about fascia and how you create this tension within the body that the the elasticity that the body can use. And if you sort of got sunken shoulders or if you've got your your head dropped, then you lose the tension in the upper back. And so your body doesn't perform effectively. And he goes into great detail and throughout the book it's scattered with examples of people he's he's worked with and, and how this sort of posture has helped them to get through. And I know we're going to talk about a bit later about some of the the ways in which you help people improve the posture so that they sort of, they're in a better position in the back half of the race, which, which is where we often see people slowing down. So um, I love all of that stuff about movement. Um, And that was another, that was a question I had for you, um, which we could probably address now is if somebody comes to you and says, well, I want to get stronger, um, Erin, you, you know, but I don't want to do any of that stretchy stuff. I just want to lift weights, you know, but if they're not mobile enough you're just building a stronger shorter muscle aren't you you want to get a longer muscle so are you mobility before strength when somebody comes to see you some
1: sometimes yes sometimes no i mean i think the famous answer in our industry is it depends
0: yeah yeah
2: you know,
1: there are times when the exact right thing to do to for a client or an athlete is to add more strength and they need to get because their structure is like a noodle they don't they don't mm. have any neuromuscular control Mm. And so very, very often, especially like in a young athlete, um, I worked with a, a 19 year old, very good, um, under 23 athlete, uh, yesterday and she came in and she can run and she has a lot of freedom in her body, but she is also very good on single leg challenges. So my first thing is to watch somebody on single leg challenge. You know, we have a lot of very traditional assessments And you put a bunch of strength coaches in one room and movement specialists or physical therapists, Mm -hmm. put us all in one room and let us discuss assessment. And we're going to disagree wholeheartedly. And we're going to challenge each other. And it's going to be a blast. But the truth is, we all have our own critical eye of what we're looking for. And so when a young athlete or any athlete comes in, the first thing I really want to see I, after hearing their history see if there's any history of pain or any limitations that they can tell me about before I even have to look for it um if there's nothing then I'm just going to put them on one foot and the first thing I really want to see is how happy is mm-hmm. their foot and
0: mm-hmm. so
1: their foot is just moving all over the place so when they're standing on one foot then I know we have a stability opportunity we have a chance to make this athlete way more stable and strong mm-hmm. on one foot and that's you know, applying force into the pedals or it's applying force into the ground when running. So if the foot is happy, I'm like, okay, there, there's an opportunity. Tick. We can we can get that athlete more stable.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting to me how um those things, those simple things are overlooked. And yet yeah, for running particularly, you know, you've got to be able to to be stable. I, I think um Paul check says you can't fire a cannon from a canoe right you've got to have a stable base in order to be able to put big power out and that always makes me think well when you're running the, the power comes from the you know from that leg swing and the drive off the foot doesn't it so if the foot's wobbling around that's always going to be marginalized and and well, no matter how consider- big the engine is you're going to you're going to be limiting your performance
1: 100 percent. like so when we i i was i worked with flora duffy for seven years Um, during the pandemic, we parted ways. She had some injuries that I just couldn't um, deal with. She needed a physical therapist. She needs somebody beyond me. And when we, she knew that in order to catch Gwen Jorgensen, she needed to run faster. And Flora was already fast, but she needed to be faster. So that's a really fun challenge with professional athletes. And is is like, I'm not going to take you from a 12 minute mile to a 10 minute mile. You're talking about Somebody who can run almost sub five and try and give them three or four more seconds per mile faster. And that is a little bit different. And for Flora, that was about putting her foot harder into the ground and being extremely resilient in a single foot Mm -hmm. plant. And we did a lot of single leg running. We did a lot of plyometrics. We did a lot of elastic energy training. I mean, even if you just look at Rini, Rini is probably one of the most beautiful elastic runners you'll ever see.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we have seen that go away after she had Isabel. So I trained her through both children and she breastfed for a very long time. And that's a whole nother show dealing with a woman after she has a child. But what we did, she still has not regained that level of elasticity and running ease that she had pre having children. She's fast and she's strong, but it, it was, and it will be, we will get her back, but Finian just turns two in January. So he's um. we're, or maybe he's three. Yeah. He's a pandemic baby. So <laughs> it's, um. but it, it really is about that elastic energy. Mm. And it takes an incredibly strong athlete to get to that point of training elasticity. Like I've trained Taylor Nib since she was also um, just starting at Cornell. So almost five years with Taylor and we are just starting to get to work on her running. Mm. So single leg stability and the ability to build a stronger, faster athlete um, starts with their ability to control the foot. And then you have to build strength up the chain. And I kind of wind our way up the chain because that's the way it works. It's not Mm. this straight line up the body.
0: That's slightly different from the Tudor bumper approach, isn't it? Which is start at the core, go for the stabilizers, go for the uh, prime movers, you know, then go for. But then finally, to what we talked about earlier, movements, not muscles.
1: Yeah, we're trying to do both at the same time, actually, because that proximal, the, the proximal stability and strength does dictate. Mm -hmm. distal mobility and strength so yes the answer is yes
0: i know you're a big fan of gray cook and um you know if you read his books and you you look at he has that um, movement assessment um
1: mobile stable mobile stable mobile stable.
0: that's right and he goes through that there's a whole in his book there's a whole series of different um, movements that he goes through to assess somebody's uh, mobility but i guess you've sort of a bit, bit like your CSCS qualification. You've sort of got that as your base. And now you've with your reading and all the other stuff, you've moved away from that to create your own sort of system, haven't you? The EC system.
1: Yes. Yeah. Easy fit. Um, you know, I I honor and I'm so thankful. And I'm a lifelong learner. These these people that have contributed to my thought mm-hmm. process um have definitely uh, you know, they get all all that credit. People are in, in general are not that patient. Um they, the quicker that I can build trust and mm-hmm. show them change in what they what matters to them, um, that that I think has been my biggest uh, ability to attract and maintain relationships with mm-hmm. athletes. Mm-hmm. So, if an athlete comes to me, I it is my goal. It is my sole intent that at the end of one session, they will be able to feel, change. And I make it very clear that change may not stay until we have a chance to get into a process. Mm -hmm. But just the mere opportunity to have their thoracic spine move a little bit better and move with more freedom. And freedom is a word that keeps coming up in, in a lot of my interviews. Freedom is everything. Freedom to move, freedom to play, freedom to be. And that rib cage expansion and how the ribs should play separately from the mobility in the hips, mm-hmm. that the hips have to be stable, um, but at the same time, they need to be mobile. You need to have the ability to decouple the hips, mm-hmm. um, the, getting the ankles moving. So that's very great cook, and I will constantly give him credit for that because it is so simple. And I do believe if we keep it simple, but we we maintain patience in the process, uh, we're going to be successful over time.
0: That, um, when you're talking about getting the ankles working properly, but also the ability to impart the force onto the ground and then be able to sort of spring out of that without losing anything to sort of wobbliness, if you like, um, requires stiffness in the tendons, doesn't it? And I know a lot of people get confused about, well, well, stiffness, you know, that's, I don't want to be stiff. I want to be mobile around the ankle. So they get confused, but I know, um, the Brownleys. obviously they were, you know, amazing runners and I've known Alistair and Johnny since they were um since they were in their early teens and got the opportunity to work with them when they were in the talent id squad and I I always think that one of the benefits that they had was coming to triathlon from fell running so all of that downhill running and landing and being able to land on uneven surfaces and then spring off um, has created that stiffness around the ankles that enables them to generate the force to not lose anything on landing um and I remember when Alistair went to to Beijing the first time, um, you know, there he was at the front of the pack on the run. And when they came to the downhill section, he he took twenty meters out of everybody, just about that ability to relax and let everything go. And but he didn't lose anything there; um, it just came natural to him. Um, but it but it, trying to trying to create stiffness in the ankles and mobility. It's it's sort of a bit of a paradox. Understanding
1: that tightness is not stiffness. And tightness is not strong. And that stiffness is good mm-hmm. <laughs> is, you know, so that's where mobility probably comes first. You know, what do we say that uh, stability without mobility is tightness,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and tightness causes inhibition. And, you know, so I, I use that a lot with adductors, because a lot of the ways I try to create freedom for athletes quickly is to decrease tightness in the adductor complex. And get more mobility in that anchoring system. And that that kind of leads me probably into, you know, you talked about yoga and I knew that there was something that was missing from my, there's there's always going to be something missing from me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but but I'm always going to keep trying to find, you know, better. So what, what I felt that I was missing, I'm, I'm very much a coach. I very much like to push. I very much like to find the edge. I needed something to kind of not keep pushing on and it, it would be, Would resonate in the vibe of yoga, but I'm very much not a yoga person. And it's Mm. not that I'm against yoga, it's just not my personality. Mm. So, what I found um, was foundation training with Dr. Eric Goodman. Mm -hmm. And that has been a huge, magical uh, contribution to my ability to train athletes and give them good physical care and process without adding additional stress Mm -hmm. into their systems. And that is the way that I describe the difference between foundation training and yoga is tension. So part of the one of the founding principles of foundation training is the anchoring of the pelvis. And so when the uh, anchor can move just a little bit in a very healthy way, like the flow of the ocean, Mm Uh, but you don't want it moving all over the place and you need that pelvis to maintain a neutral position as long as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we all as athletes will end up in an anterior tilt at some point in athletic Mm -hmm. competition. I think it's necessary to be in an anterior tilt. I don't think we want to get rid of the anterior tilt, but at the same time, if we can find a little bit more time in neutral pelvis the glutes are going to work better. I mean, every book in the world is like, well, how do I get my glutes to work better? How do I get my glutes to work better? Well, anchoring is one of the strategies that I use to make the glutes optimize for sure. So we're not looking for switching on the glutes. I think one of my biggest pet peeves is when people come to me and they say, my glutes are shut off. They have, I have no butt. And I'm like, well, I, I promise you your butt is working. It Could it be better? Yes. Could it be stronger? Yes. Mm-hmm. Would that help? Yes. But I really think, um, physical therapists and doctors that say that tell people their butt isn't working is doing them a disservice. So mm-hmm. figuring out how to optimize glute glute function and how that plays with pelvic neutral, um, is kind of a fun conversation and, you know, talking about pelvic floor and diaphragm and breath work and and everything that happens inside, I mean, it's, it's so much further and deeper than the core and doing planks. I hate watching people do static planks. Mm-hmm. Me crazy.
0: <laughs> I'm just thinking, I mean, um, just explain a little bit more than if you can, Erin, because I'm intrigued about um, foundation training. If somebody was to watch two people side by side on a yoga mat or, or on the floor, one's doing yoga, one's doing foundation training, what differences would they notice? Tension. Okay.
1: Self-imposed tension, upregulation of the nervous system uh-huh. in an appropriate way through expansion of the rib cage and activation of the diaphragm, a flaring of the rib cage and 360 degrees and mobility through the rib cage uh-huh. in a very conscious way. Um, you would also see using not belly breathing. Belly breathing is very beautiful and natural, and it's a form of breath work. But we use in foundation training a a breath called a decompression breathing, which enhances uh, space between the ribs and the hips. And so, one of the biggest cues that I can give an athlete when they're racing is create space, use your breath. Because if you can pull your rib cage and elevate and expand your rib cage, you are, Mm -hmm. in essence, lengthening your psoas muscle, which attaches to the anterior part of the spine. Mm -hmm. And so, if I can find even just a little bit more space, in my rib cage, a little bit more space between ribs and hips, just by taking a deep inhalation, then my sacrum is probably going to drop and my neutral pelvis may return.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it may not, but if we practice it with foundation training and we fa- practice decompression breathing, um, we are going to have more of a, we're going to have a better chance of having a healthy athlete. So. I will have somebody call me and they'll be like, I have plantar fasciitis. And now I know the answer, but at first I didn't. And I called Doc Goodman. I was like, Doc, what do we do with somebody with plantar fasciitis? He says, decompression breathing. So then I get a person that says, I just got a new hip, hip replacement. I called Doc, Hel- I, I called Doc Goodman. What do we do with foundation training with a new hip? But he says, decompression breathing. Calls, you're getting the vibe here everything anchors in decompression breathing and the ability to expand the ribcage 360 degrees and create space between the ribs and the hips to enhance function from the central governor. Okay. If my spine is compressed, that signal is going to be less effective than if I have space.
2: so So
0: is it, is it just, are you obviously you're going to teach the breathing first and then are you, and then are you working with people to be able to maintain that, decompression breathing through the movement patterns then
1: a hundred percent
0: okay yeah. and then what sort of movement patterns would we be noticing versus the person um doing their yoga workout
1: posture so we want mobility in the spine and spinal flexion is fine it's a beautiful thing the spine is meant to flex the mm-hmm. spine is meant to rotate the spine is meant to do lots of different things and as, as long as there's musculature and practice within the, the body that you can handle all the movements so in foundation training, the elevating the chest, expanding the rib cage is going to create a position of better posture. Mm-hmm. Yoga sometimes, from my perspective, creates passive ranges of motion. And I think in foundation training, we get a little bit more active range of motion. So a lot of my high performance to your, your nomenclature, um, high performance humans, um, they like to be in a little bit more control. They don't have the the mental or emotional capacity necessarily or patience to do 45 minutes of yoga or time. Mm -hmm. If I can give them 8 to 10 minutes of active tension building, upregulation of the movement nervous system, um, my chances of getting them to adhere to that practice is going to be a little bit better. 8 to 10 minutes usually sounds a little bit better to people than... You know, now I want you to go to yoga for four hours a week or three hours a week. So not everybody has that amount of time. You'll see most of my athletes doing um, a lot of foundation movements in T1 uh, before a race to just prepare the body to to move and, and move well. And they usually be like, oh, you must work with Aaron because <laughs> that's a founder.
0: <laughs> I presume that there's somewhere where we can... Uh link to in the show notes that would give us, um, a little bit more people, a little bit more information if they want to find out about, uh, Dr. Goodman and foundation training, right?
1: Yep. Foundation training.com. But I also include a lot of active foundation training principles within my work as well at ecfitstrength.com So mm-hmm. we work together. I, I love Eric and his team and I'm part of his team, but I have my own app. Do you,
0: you talked about Flora then and, um, um, getting to a point and like all good coaches um we're all taught that we need to know where our limits are and when to hand somebody over as much as it might go against our natural instincts um yeah. but do you do you in your gym do you have a team of expert and um, practitioners that you work with so i know the the um the terminology is slightly different so we have physiotherapists over here but in athletic you have athletic conditioners in in the u.s don't you Uh, as well. And I know some, there's a sort of, they're not the same as strength and conditioning coaches. There's sort of like a bit of a bridge between it seems. I'm never entirely sure what, what the definition of those are. But I I presume that you, you have a team of people that, that you work with and go and observe so you can see exactly what's happening with your athlete and they can come and observe you.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I have a group that I like, but my athletes function at a pretty high level. They, if they want my opinion or my recommendation, I have them. More often than not, they we build that team, and sometimes that team is presented to me. And I love working in a team. Mm-hmm. So you know, Taylor's a great example. Um, we've had some challenges through the years um, as she's developed into one of the world's best, um, and she's developed a really strong team. Uh, Dr. John Minnen is a chiropractor. She sees John, Dr. Minnen. Weekly, he makes sure that her structure is is in is as optimized as it it can be, and he also listens to her. You know, we this is the thing with my athletes; they they're not just looking for scientific answers. A lot of times, we as their their team, you know, we're like we're a little worried that that athlete's a little bit down. Not necessarily Taylor because that's not her issue. But, you know, we worry about their emotional state and about Mm -hmm. their mental state and how they're developing as a human. And are they balanced? Are they spending time with their friends? You know, and as the team of coaches and and leaders in different levels, um, I typically get to spend more time uh, in addition to the sport coach. But a lot of the sport coaches have an entire team when they meet. So they all meet at the track and it's, you know, 10 on one with Ian O'Brien or maybe oh,
0: yes. I know I know Ian yeah
1: yeah so i'm working with Ian's team but i get the kids one on one so it's it i have a, a real advantage uh to to listen to them and be mm. that part of the team but you know each athlete usually will build out a physio um chiropractor uh, a doctor if needed um and plus also these athletes as we all not just pros, you know, if we have an issue, we kind of want to be seen quickly. We, you know, there's some doctors that are like, well, you can't see me until two weeks. That's (laughs) that's not going to work. So, so the lot of doctors that are passionate about sport and seeing an athlete progress, they're like, okay, I'll fit you in this afternoon. Those are, those are valuable relationships. And so we, we definitely need and have built that here for sure. It's like, I can get you in this afternoon. (laughs) It's important
0: really interesting to hear you talk about the uh, the other parts of an athlete's makeup not just the the biological we've I, I don't know if you're familiar with the biopsychosocial model um it's something I've been studying as part of my uh, my sleep study and we've used it with our um, what we call our high performing coaches which is which is level 3 really at british triathlon and it's getting coaches to understand that um you might prescribe workouts for somebody, but there's other stuff going on in their life. There's stuff going on in their head. You know, they've got worries about the economy. They've got worries about um, climate change. They've got worries about, um, you know, political instability um they've got worries at work and also then there's the there's the um the social bit what's life like with their friends they've got you know they've got elderly family members they've got young children they've got siblings and all of these things are stuff that's going in here and going on around them the environment they live in um their ability to sort of feel safe in their environment or when they you know sleep sleep soundly at night because they they feel safe and i think uh, um sometimes that's ignored by coaches but the coaches that actually get that uh, create happier athletes and a happy athlete is generally uh, uh, just a better performing athlete don't you find
1: 100% i think that i have seen both as i'm sure you have mm-hmm. i think there is a deep need for really science based people um leaders researchers, you know, and I can remember at the University of Colorado, and they changed my degree, from they've they changed the name of my major from kinesiology, which is the science of human movement. And there's so much joy in movement. So I really am thankful that my degree ended up being in kinesiology, because they changed it to integrated physiology. Mm-hmm. And they really shifted the, the study of, of humans into the lab. And I'm like, well, where's the human? You know, where's the person, where's the day, what did they do? And as a coach, unless I I just don't think you should be in coaching, go into research and, and provide us all the data that we need to be coaches because Mm -hmm. coaching is so much more than writing sessions. You know, Mm -hmm. you have to be willing to walk away. And this is probably a good thing that I have to do all the time as a strength coach I am reactive in how I train my athletes to what they are doing in swim, bike, and run or what they are doing in running. And if their coach, their sport coach, decides that they're in a big block, they will say, Aaron, back off what you're doing in the gym because that kid's gonna be fatigued. And I'm like, I'm good with that. You know, so a lot of times they come into me and I still want them to come in even though they're fatigued and they, the last thing they need is to lift mm-hmm. weights. That's why I like foundation training because I'm not going to put additional load on them. I might upregulate their nervous system in a healthy way, but maybe we're going to work on breath work. Maybe we're going to work on mobility. Maybe the last thing they need is more work, more stress, external stress. Cause that's our job is to apply appropriate stress to get an adaptation and get a result. And so I think the human part of it has become something I just love. I mean, I was so thankful at the end of 70.3 worlds in St. George this year, I got so lucky to be in the finishing shoot Mm -hmm. and I got to hug those kids Mm -hmm. when they came across the finish line. And that was like some of the best hugs I've ever had. And Mm -hmm. facilitating dreams is kind of more my job than, (laughs) than strength coach. And to, to have experienced that from my perspective was probably one of the best moments of my life you know when taylor came across and then paula came across and then emma came across and i I work with all three of those young women and wow i was just like this is insane you know it was just the hug was more important and i but i also knew how hard they worked and how much they wanted that so it was it was massive
0: i've I've got a couple of questions on that and i'll just come back to but um going back to Coaches and dealing with the human. Uh, a friend of mine, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Jones. He was performance um uh triathlon island and then endurance running island. Um he was Great Britain coach, head coach at Sydney Olympics. So a long time ago now. But Chris um was running a performance centre in South Wales, and one of the athletes I was coaching at the time went down there because he he needed to work on his running, and that was Chris's one of Chris's specialities. But the first thing Chris did when he got there he popped around to see how he was at his new house. And then he said, Look, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take you out for a drive now. I'm going to show you where the best supermarket is. I'm going to show you when you when you want to run to the pool or cycle to the pool, I'm going to show you the best way to go. It might not be the most direct, but I'm going to show you neighborhoods to keep out of. I'm just going to, you know, this is, oh, there's a good restaurant there you might want to. And if you want a pizza, don't go there, but go to this place. All the little things, like a, a sort of like pastoral care for an athlete that you might forget about. But actually, when somebody's in a new environment, they don't know anybody and they don't know anything those are the things that really matter and those are the things then that lead to an athlete feeling like they're in a good situation and it's been a right decision and so they're going to turn up to training the next day feeling a lot happier about life
1: it's the essence of the experience right they happen to be professional athletes Mm -hmm. but they're just people Mm
0: -hmm. yeah um you mentioned uh, i mean you had a full house there top three world 70.3 uh you mentioned working with to um, but it seems like more female triathletes gravitate to you. Would that would that be correct? No,
1: not 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 really. Um, you know, I, that's just kind of the 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 hot and bothered part of it right now. Um, Rudy von Berg is one of my guys. Um, mm. Rudy had a, you know, he has solid day in Kona. Uh, mm. he, he got uh, he got mono in twenty twenty one, which really knocked him back. We continued to train to the extent that we could. Through mono, he had to get healthy from that. Um, He won Ironman France, qualified for Kona. He's one of the best athletes in the world, without question. And then coming back from Ironman France, got a stomach uh, virus, lost more weight, and you know went into Kona in a very good situation, but not in his best situation. Mm -hmm. So he had a solid finish. He was third American, uh, top twenty finish in Kona. I think the best is yet to come from Rudy. Um I've worked with uh, Morgan Pearson. I think we saw Morgan in Abu Dhabi show the world that he is back. When I got Morgan, he had some injuries. Um and we have worked hard to get through those injuries. Um and I think that uh I I'm I you know I don't want to put the cart before the horse. We have a lot of work to do to get him to Paris um to mm. to the games, but um, that is definitely a, a high high goal uh, with Morgan. Um, I've got, I, I, my remote athletes, Eric Legerstrom won Alcatraz. I've been working with Eric for almost two years. Um, so I, I, do pretty well with the guys as well, for sure. I worked with Justin Metzler right up until last summer. Um, he won Oregon, um, had a really, really strong showing at Ironman Lake Placid, kind of fell apart in the final few, few, uh, miles of the race. And and we parted ways after that race, which was really tragic and sad for me. But at the same time, he needs to, you know, he needs to do what he needs to do. So
2: mm.
1: I I feel like um, it's not so much gender, but my the ladies are really doing well. You know, I've trained Paula Finley since she was a teenager. We took a little bit of a hiatus for a couple of years, but she hasn't been injured now for an, in over a year. Mm. And Paula, when Paula is firing on all cylinders, she's dangerous. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, I think the ladies might be might be achieving right now, but my guys are, are coming up for sure. And I can appreciate the process that everybody's in. We want to learn from, I mean, these damn Norwegians. I mean, you know, and they, they proudly say, Oh, we don't do any strength or mobility. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you can listen to the uh, ritual podcast when, when Christian and, and Gustav were on there and they were talking about, yeah, we lasted, you know, how many didn't last. And same thing with the uh, coach Brett Sutton, you know, we don't go in the weight room. Oh, I I don't think that's true, Simon. What do you, I mean, do you is
0: No. No, it, I I I've, I've got a book um I share I share a link with you when went off when we're off the podcast. I've got a book where um from about 20 30 years ago where it's referring to different triathlon coaches and in there Brett says we don't do any strength training I don't believe athletes need it I, I often wonder well whether is that because the athletes you get are already well developed Brett and they're already fairly robust you look at Nick, Nicholas Spirig and, right. and Daniela Reeve and I think you know they're they're, they're pretty well put together um you know human packages aren't they uh, as individuals not just athletes and so maybe they were resilient already you, there's no way you can wear a swim paddle that's the size of a dinner plate without having great stability around the shoulder complex you know but then there's definitely some of those people like you talked about that have muscles like noodles that just that they wouldn't do it they wouldn't be able to do it so um yeah yeah i, <laughs> I don't know it's, I, don't, I think it's sometimes gets so it so confusing
1: but it's a blast to follow
0: yeah yeah and i and like you say um Brett's very successful, and uh, you know nobody could uh, nobody could argue with his record of winning athletes. But there's also a lot of um, I think there's also a lot of debris on the way as well. And um, awesome. um, But you know, every in the same way that athletes have to find their own way, each coach has their own way, don't they? And uh, I, I, what I do, what I do, I'm not keen on with with coaches is if they have a philosophy. That they then say, well, this is my philosophy, and that's how you're going to deal with it, because each person has different requirements. And so, if you were saying, well, we don't do strength training, and so that person needed it, then you're denying something that somebody needs. Then uh, I think that's probably limiting their development. But you know, the athlete can also make the mind up to go elsewhere, can't they? So, um, yeah, uh, I, I know. I know in my mind that all the stuff that we're talking about is is, is priority, a big priority. And so, uh, yeah. I'll just find out what the over other time,
2: said.
1: over yeah. time, the yeah. work, it just needs to be patient. And I think mm-hmm. that I asked a question of some sport coaches, what make, what, what are you most fearful of when you bring in a strength coach
2: mm-hmm. and
1: they are most fearful of the work that we're doing in the strength training area in the, in the weight room, interfering mm-hmm. with their ability to train, the athlete, the way that they want to train the athlete. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't agree with them more because there's a lot of people who do what we do, who do cause a problem.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think that there's an evolution. And this young lady that I, I met yesterday, again, one of the top young athletes in the United States currently at a university in the United States the triathlon program strength coach is also the football coach, <laughs> the football okay. team strength coach, and sh- the 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 ask. And you know, I always want to talk to, I want to talk to the strength coach that was previously with the athlete. I really love collaboration, and I I think it sucks when somebody you know leaves one strength coach and goes to another one, and that coach can't talk to what where that person has been for two years. Like Mm. it only serves the athlete. Mm -hmm. So in, in talking to this other coach, he had no idea of the physical demands of triathlon. Wow. Really? These athletes train 20 to 30 hours a week. You cannot impose hours of lifting weights on that athlete in a safe and effective way. So I do think as you know, I, I get a lot of requests. Can I be, can I mentor with you? Can I learn? Well, if you are learning anything from this podcast today, sometimes the answer is do less. Mm-hmm. And I'll just leave it at that. You know, you have to do the right things and you have to know what that yeah. athlete needs and enjoys, but doing less is sometimes way more effective than doing more.
0: Coming back to that coach though, um, that's a fundamental part of needs analysis. Right. Understanding the demands of the sport and then understanding the requirements of the athlete and putting them together to create a a customized program for them.
1: Yep. (laughs) And unfortunately, a lot of of our peer group is not humble enough to Mm. take the time to look. I mean, if a strength coach doesn't know what training peaks is or what today's plan is or final surge or where these hours of training are logged you know, then I would say are, you don't understand because football, they don't train all the time. I mean, endurance train, endurance athletes train mm-hmm. all the time.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, they've got three sports they need to get done and it's, you know, so I, that's just, you know, running is a little bit different, but they're doing two runs a day. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, they're trying to supplement that with swimming and water running and elliptical. Like how, how can I work my engine without landings? And, so there's a volume component that is really important.
0: Mm. And that's yeah, I had a conversation with somebody about nutrition as well and I remember the coach said to me look you know sometimes if 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 they're winning medals and their nutrition is you know not not at 100% then trying to make it 100% and really you, you know you need to be doing this do that do that that that's just one extra layer of stress that I don't want to create. Um you know I well said whether that was right or wrong um time yeah. will prove but uh, at the time they were dominant and uh, you know so you couldn't well uh, you ca- to me. I don't know do you know do you know Dr Tommy Wood have you come across Tommy? No. You'd you'd love Tommy Wood I'll, I'll point you towards some of his podcasts um yeah but but Tommy has this uh, phrase where he says if you're doing something even if if you're an endurance athlete and you're following a rigorous keto diet but it's working for you how can I possibly argue with that you know now he said i'm not saying that keto is the best diet for endurance athletes but if you're the outlier for whom it's working yeah carry on yep um, well said okay erin we've we have dived down a few rabbit holes which is brilliant i love all of that and i think we probably <laughs> it, given the right time we could probably go on and have a rich roll length type of podcast but um i know you don't have the time for that so i'm going to come back to some of the uh topics that i wanted to um pick up on so i think a listener now would have got an idea of the process that that you would go through um or sort of like the founding process that you would go through and then um in order to understand somebody's capabilities and and limitations a lot of the age group athletes because we talked about pros and i know a lot of people say well it's all right for them because they've got all day to train and you know it's their livelihood and so it's important age group athletes are trying to fit in a lot of training and they've got other stuff in their life. You know, they've got other jobs and they may be traveling and all sorts of other things. And one of the biggest objections I hear to including strength, mobility, foundation, work, whatever you like to call it, is I don't have enough time. Now, for me, I would like to say, well, try and make some time by cutting down on the other stuff. But how, how do you counter that objection?
1: The- My best answer to that, and it does, there's a process. I mean, and there's patience in the process. We have to slowly develop a belief system that in age group sport, for the most part, our our primary objective is to be the healthiest human beings we can be. Amen. When we can understand that health is more important than speed, we will get faster. So the prioritizing of mobility and the accessibility of the programming. So as I started to develop programs and progressions, we backed off a lot of the time, uh, the time commitments so that I don't know in the, I don't know around the world, but I know in the United States, most people feel like they need to make an hour to an hour and a half to go to the gym. And Mm -hmm. I'm in the gym
2: business.
1: So it's pretty, I think it's pretty true. By dispelling that and saying, you don't need that much time. You can make pause you can become a healthier human being, thus giving yourself the opportunity to become a faster human being with a 20 minute strength session. Then we started talking and all everybody was like, well, that means that session needs to be harder. It needs to be this hit session, this high intensity interval training. And I'm like, no, it actually doesn't. You can go into your basement. I do believe everyone should have a home gym uh, to an extent so that they can get off their bike after a two hour bike ride and do a 20 minute gym session that they can get off the uh, done during a run in the morning and do it at 15 minute gym session. There are some key lifts that each person will benefit from, depending on what their postural um, assessment kind of told us in the first place. And we can really start to dial in. And I can say in a pretty big bell curve of life, most people need to strengthen their back more mm-hmm. than they need to strengthen their front. So most people come into the gym and they'll bench press. And I'm like, pushing exercises is probably not where you should prioritize your work. We want to pull. We want a seated row. We want a lat pull down. We want everything that works the back side of the body. We want to mm-hmm. strengthen the head position. Mm-hmm. So I dose, and we talk about exercise dosage, I dose very conservatively the timing to make the programming more accessible. And I try to get something that people are consciously doing six or seven times a week. So foundation training is very accessible. You can do it at an airport. When I first started doing foundation training, I would post on social media. I was doing foundation training in the airport. I was doing foundation training at the bank. I was doing foundation training in the middle of a hike. Yep. You know, and and it's so accessible.
2: Mm-hmm. Working
1: breath work, I can do that driving to work, and I'm consciously making myself a healthier person. Lifting weights four times a week, twenty minutes a hit, and we can look more towards a two week build. So for two weeks, can you give me four times a week, twenty minutes? And sometimes mm-hmm. the session with me is thirteen minutes. Mm-hmm. So I've got these little videos of. Okay. Hey, today we're going to do this. We've got 17 minutes. Let's go. And I get pushback. The people who don't like my stuff, they think it's not hard enough. Mm -hmm. It's highly effective for most people, but they want to hurt. They want to experience physical Mm -hmm. pain from their strength training in order to think that it's working. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you that my stuff every now and then you're going to feel physical discomfort. Absolutely. It's not, you know, it's not, not going to happen. It's not going to happen very often. But over time, two years from now, if I could tell you that doing it this way, you're actually not going to hate it. You're not going to quit.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you're probably going to say, I got 13 minutes. I got 17 minutes. This session is 23 minutes. It's it's accessible. Programs need to be accessible. And that the definition for that is that it's something that can occur over time.
0: So I oh, there's a lot of things for me to unpick there. Um, I'm a big fan of primal endurance and Brad Cairns, that that whole, um, I don't know if you've read that, but, you know, Mark Sisson and Brad Cairns, two professional triathletes burning themselves out back in the 80s and then realizing that actually that wasn't very good for their health either. Um going on to little and often uh, they come around to talking about some Pavel Satsulin stuff about greasing the groove. So if you haven't got that 20 minutes, but can you do a minute a couple together throughout the day, you know, maybe if you're at your desk, maybe you can get up for a minute and do some, uh, some movements um, and accumulating the work um, throughout the week. And for me, you know, if you're accumulating small amounts, but four or five times throughout the week, But you can do that for two years. Probably if you totaled all of the work you've done up over two years, it'd be more than if you kept going to those hurt sessions and then beasted yourself. And back to your point about if the training you do in the gym compromises your ability to get to the session the next day and perform the way you should. You know, if you do a big heavy set of squats and then you go into the track the next day and you can't run, then that's limiting the very thing that you're trying to contribute to getting better. Um, so that, that doesn't make, that doesn't actually make much sense, does it?
1: No. And I think that's where over the years I've been able to build trust. Um, mm-hmm. you have to build trust and I'm very thankful and I'm very honored to be a trusted entity in this, in this realm of, of strength mm-hmm. building and performance enhancement. And, um, you know, it's just a real honor because I think sometimes less is more and, if you want more, if you want to be hammerhead and if you, you know, I might not be the best choice, but it, it, over time, there is a beautiful thing about athletic wisdom. You know, Tio, Tim's 42 years old. He was 13th in Kona. He can articulate exactly when in that race he decided he made a conscious decision not to push for the top 10. Mm-hmm. Um, his wisdom in racing mm-hmm. is so valuable. Mm -hmm. And he has adhered to a a very progressive strength program. His program in year one is very different than his program in year 10. Mm -hmm. But, and he's healthy and his posture is huge. He survived a heart attack. I mean, it's just, it's, he, he's a wise athlete. So I do, I mean, look at the Brownleys, you know, Johnny's coming back trying to make it to Paris and he's Mm -hmm. an older athlete. He's going Mm -hmm. up against some pretty physically challenged, pretty physically gifted and talented young athletes and mm-hmm. he's going to have a shot it's not because he's better faster stronger than those kids he's just smarter
2: mm-hmm. so
1: this is the beauty you know in the united states gwen jorgensen a uh, gold medal winner in rio i think she was in rio mm-hmm. um is coming back and she's going to be a force to be reckoned with not because she's as physically able as T- taylor spivey you know but she has wisdom that is going to be very, very interesting to watch. So, mm-hmm. you know, she has a great strength coach in a, a guy named Matt Pendola who who works with um, uh, beat Ben Canute. So, there's there's a lot of people in our peer group, Simon, that I think are doing really, really good work, and yeah. their athletes are patient, and um, it's really, really exciting. And and I just full props to to everybody.
0: You you were talking about Flora. Um- um earlier on and talking about how she needed to get faster but of course that's not necessarily the case for the um the long distance athletes is it that most of them have got good leg speed if you give them a, a one mile to run and it you know a long time ago I made the connection that it's not necessarily the fastest athlete that wins it's the one who slows down the least and the longer the race goes on um the more that becomes a factor and Being at the finish line of an Ironman with some of the Mm -hmm. pros, but definitely watching age groupers and seeing how during the race they're just starting to fall apart, how they can't pick their feet up, how the shoulders drop, how the hips sink, you know, and, and then seeing them putting more effort in to keep the same pace up and then the pace slowing and it just feels like they're dragging themselves around and that's that's you know, I use the analogy of a car a lot. That's not the engine that's letting them down, is it? It's the bodywork that's falling apart there. And so, you know, if anybody for me, if if anybody wants to question that the the importance of this sort of work, it's in the back end of the run where it falls apart, where it shows its value.
1: Well, I think most people who are listening to this probably know who Heather Jackson is. Mm-hmm. And Heather, um, I reached out to Heather yesterday. Heather, I've known Heather for years. She's trained in Boulder. I have never been her strength coach. As a matter of fact, most of Heather's work through her primary Ironman career has been on the bike, running hills, very traditional,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: non-weight room person. Um, I think she somewhere along there, she must have done something. Um, But I reached out to her yesterday because now I watched her show on her 100-mile run and it was definitely not her cardiovascular system. Mm. And there's a big gravel race here in the United States called Unbound.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. 200
1: miles of gravel and in Kansas is of all places. And I reached out to Heather on uh, and I was just like, "Heather, it's time. It's time to <laughs> to get a little bit of traditional strength plus she's a little bit of an older athlete now. Mm. She I think she's in her late 30s. And it you know, she's just Driven that body so hard, the hormonal response to lifting weights, the shift and change um, for her uh, into some traditional strength training. I, I can't wait to start that process with her because it's going to be like this untapped resource. Mm. And it sounds like she's a little bit excited about it as well, because we're just getting started. Mm. So I'm not afraid to talk about it. And then, you know, if some way midway through the year, she goes, yeah, I dumped Aaron. It didn't work, but I don't think that's going to happen. I'm already, we're sitting here in December as we have this discussion. You know, I'm thinking about her doing hundred mile runs and having unbound 200 mile, uh, gravel races, and putting that body in the best possible scenario to mm-hmm. withstand that kind of challenge, I mean, that's crazy stuff. But what mm-hmm. a fun, cool athlete to be able to work with, to be able to give her that confidence going into the final 10K of a 100-mile run. That, I mean, she it's going to be a blast. So that process is going to be a kick. And those challenges, are they, they're going to keep coming, I have a feeling.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. Unbound is on my um, on my my wish list. I think it's just difficult to get in, isn't it? Um, Yeah. I love the point you made about healthiest humans tend to, you know, tend to perform the best. And uh, again, back to working with age group athletes, is that aside from the sporting benefits that you can get from improved mobility, better movement, and strength training is the the human the anti-aging benefits that we can get from that you know maintaining bone density um maintaining just functional integrity. And fun- a lot of people talk about functional strength without knowing what it is. But if you've ever watched an old lady trying to put a box into a top shelf cupboard and dropping it on her head, that's yep. a lack of functional strength. It's not about being able to do one-legged squats. Um, and that's exactly what I noticed with my mother once. She she was trying to put a box over her head into a cupboard and she, she almost dropped it on her head. I was stood behind her and sort of managed to balance it. But she said, oh, I'm getting so much weaker now as I'm getting older. And, you know, she wasn't able to screw the top off a jam jar you know so she'd lost her wrist strength um yep. you know but but we shouldn't ignore the fact that just because we are invincible enough to do um an iron man that we're not going to be succumbing to the normal aging processes that non-athletic people do and we need to if you want to be you know as i approach my 60s it, the only th- if i want to keep doing the stuff that i love for another 10 years it's not the engine that needs attention it's the body work again. Um,
1: Hundred um, percent. Dr. Peter Atia is oh, yeah, a yeah. L- yes. longevity specialist. Uh, yes. and he's, he's really people are really paying attention to him right now. And and he says if you do one thing for your health, fall in love with strength training.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And to to you know some of the the past topic here, I think that the recognition of an athlete or the recognition of a human working under the leadership of a coach or someone like us, if you're not enjoying the process, seek out another process. Seek out another leader for yourself. It should not be painful. It should not be miserable. It should be something you look forward to and get Mm -hmm. excited about.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And I think that when when we as leaders and coaches can achieve that kind of excitement, when your athlete shows up and they're like, what do you got for me today? Let's go. You know, and there because there's trust and that mm. you know you're not going to leave in pain or you're not going to be challenged um emotionally to do things that are you're incapable of. You know, mm. a lot of strength coaches love the TRX. And I'm not going to be very popular for saying this, but I hate the TRX <laughs> really? for a lot for a lot of reasons. But I, I can remember when I when they first brought it out onto the industry, and I was like, this is this is cool because you can put it around a tree. You know, you can do all kinds of different things. And then when I saw all the things that they wanted me to do, and I felt incompetent doing Mm. them. And I'm a pretty good athlete. I played professional basketball. I can finish on the podium of a 70.3 world championships a few times. But for me, the TRX is, I feel like an idiot most of the time. So I don't use it with a lot of my athletes because I don't want them to feel like idiots. I want Mm. them to feel really solid, really competent. You know, we talk about unstable surfaces and instability training and you know if you're falling all over the place like bambi you're not doing anything except confusing the crap out of your nervous system Mm -hmm. like stability things that standing on a bosu ball that you can never stabilize is a problem unless you're doing something that you never stabilize like if you're racing sailboats and you need or you're you know Mm -hmm. even on a motorcycle if you're i've trained some people who race motorcycles that ever changing environment we need to train that Mo- mountain bikers are, are very similar they're super fun to train mm-hmm. because you can throw things at them while they're lifting weights and it's like catch this okay that that's mountain biking mm-hmm. it's not triathlon it's not marathoning but i really think the process should be fun you should feel competent you should understand it you should be able to move um it should it should make sense and they shouldn't be random random mm-hmm. physical challenges because you're a good athlete and you let's try this like that's bad
0: coaching S- squatting on a swiss ball hey eh?
1: absolutely insane absolutely uh, unnecessary and dangerous right yeah. and i i just i my stuff can be boring but it's exciting to go see what my stuff can produce in on the field in mm. life on the mountain um but the the the, the crazy challenges don't typically for me uh, appear in the weight room
0: yeah I do, I do, I do like to vary what people are doing, you know, with the type of mode that they're using or um, how they do it. But but to your point about at least being able to perform it competently, because if they end up being incompetent at it, then injury is the most likely or, or accident is the most likely outcome. Um, you know, I like, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Turkish getup, but only when you've learned to do it properly with balancing a shoe on your hand, I'm sort of not suggesting that you pick up a 20 kilo kettlebell and try to do that before you've got the appropriate stability.
1: Most of my athletes, we, we have four parts to a Turkish getup. Yeah. We get to one and two, and Mm -hmm. we, we're going to get extremely good at part one and extremely good at part two. And very few of them get to part three and part four. Wow! <laughs> it's just, and they're fine. Like we have a huge, mm. huge respect for that movement. That is a massive movement that should be taught over a period of months, mm. not in one session. If it's going to be effective.
0: Yeah. Um, you talked about working with some remote. Well, actually, there's a couple of questions. You, you talked about um, uh, encouraging lots of uh, encouraging everyone to have a home gym. Um, yep. Briefly, what would you what would you suggest that that might consist of?
1: Um, super easy for anyone in the world to get a dumbbell for the most part. Um, I like selection dumbbells. I use a, a a dumbbell, uh, called an MX 55. There's an MX 30, which only has 30 pounds, but that's a dial, a dumbbell, very
2: compact,
1: easy to fit in the house. If you can't find those in the country that you're in, then I believe that everyone needs three dumbbells, a set of light dumbbells. So, under 10 pounds, a set of number two dumbbells, I call them, the moderate weight. And for ladies, that's probably gonna be anywhere from 10 to 17, maybe 10 to 20. For the guys, that's gonna be anywhere from 10 to maybe 25. That's gonna be your number two dumbbell. And then the number three dumbbell or kettlebell. And you don't, for your number three, for your heavy dumbbell, you do not need a set. You just need at least one. And that's where kettlebells kind of come in. With mm-hmm. these, with because you can buy them by the one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, for most people, that for the ladies, that's going to be anywhere from 20 to 40. And for the guys, that's going to be anywhere from 20 to 60. And what I have found, because I've been doing this just a long enough time where I present to a large group of people um, around the world, um, I've been doing it just long enough that now I had one, two, and three, and I've had to add four. Because some people have really stuck with me and I'm like, okay, your number three is no longer heavy enough for you. Mm-hmm. So once we get to that number four at home, you know, I own a gym. So I love when people find joy in going to a gym, but not everybody has that ability mm-hmm. or opportunity. So what we're finding now is we can use a 40 pound dumbbell or kettlebell for a squat, a a. Goblet squat. That's the other thing. We never got to this, but I do not back squat any of my athletes except Rinny. And the only reason Rennie back squats is because she's done it her whole life and she's very good at it. But everybody goblet squats and front squats, more core activation, safer loading strategy, um, and just more control needed through the movement. So we can now play with tempo. So you don't have to keep getting a 50 and a 70 and an 80 and a 120 pound dumbbell. If you can take three seconds down, a two second hold at the bottom and one second up, and we're starting to introduce a lot of tempo. So eccentric control, ISO, ISO hold at the bottom and one second up can really create a good physical challenge without adding load and we can do that same playing with tempo uh for anything. So tempo can overcome not having a bunch of weights. Yeah. One of my big... favorite tools beyond dumbbells and kettlebells though is the Viper.
0: Okay. And Viper
1: viper.com and you see a lot of social media from me where my athletes are using these long tubes. And uh Michelle from Institute of Motion invented the Viper and I know they're available in Europe um mm. You might have to dig on that just a little bit. But well, we do a lot of training with Viper. And that was my primary tool with Rinnie when she said she didn't want to lift weights. I'm like, that's fine. We'll lift vipers. And it they come in a whole line. Um, usually the shipping is more expensive than the viper, but it is a it is one of my favorite tools. Athletes love moving them. We can throw them, we can heave them, you know, release moves, uh, all kinds of things with vipers. So mm-hmm. We use a lot of vipers, uh, and I, I do think that people should have one or two vipers at home, and then mini bands, just little bands um, that can be used to activate a little bit. Um, I think some people are starting to poo poo the mini bands, but you'll, you, I'll be hard pressed to poo poo them. I, I just they work too much, they work too well, so
0: easy super take, simple, easy to take on the road as well, eh?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mm. Yeah, I like, I like the viper. I don't have one here. Um, I have a uh, I have a D ball as well, squashy D ball that yeah. I use. So I do a lot of um, uh, sort of like lifting off the floor. So it's like a deadlift, like a low clean, and then up, and then just manhandling it over my shoulder and carrying it as on my shoulder as well, that sort of stuff. Um, I do a lot, a lot of, of the,
1: my. A lot of my athletes are starting to buy hex bars for their homes as well. And yes. once you get a hex bar, I know Paula and Eric. Um, so we've been training together for the the three of us, Eric and Paula, because Eric joined in. Um, with Paula's stuff, we're going to make sure that they have a hex bar in -hmm. their garage so that they don't always have to go to the gym. Um, Mm -hmm. They have kettlebells and vipers and we'll add a hex bar this year, but it took two years to need a hex bar. So I don't think Mm -hmm. you need to start having barbells and uh, bumper plates and stuff. But
0: but you know what I like also, Erin, is there's some woods not far from me, maybe a couple of kilometers. I can walk and I can jog to there. It's slightly uphill. And then there's a then there's an old wall that's fallen down and it's got lots of odd shaped rocks and stones. And to the side of the path, there's a there's a hill, and I can choose how far I go up to there. So I can pick one of those up and I can carry it on my shoulder and I can carry it up to the hill and I can jog back down and I can carry a few of them up. And then there's a series of steps further up, so I can do some um do some two-footed jumps up those. Um I can do some, uh, some almost like box jumps. Uh, there's, there's an old. I, I found an old tree, and and actually in another wood there was some, um, there was some logs that have been cut, and so a bit like the viper, I could just balance yeah. it on my hands and do some pressing. Um, I can carry it on my shoulder and run up to the hill and then walk down. Um, so there's, and and then and then I can jog on to the next little obstacle where I can climb a tree, hang from a branch, do a couple of pull-ups. You know, it's. <laughs> it's a fantastic outdoor workout in, in nature. Um, and that's for me that I came back and I thought I I didn't notice the running, you know, I was just running between little obstacles, but (laughs) it was an absolute blast.
1: There's the freedom to play. Yeah. Right. The the beauty of play and what a, what a life well lived, like having a good time, just being physical, being Mm. out in nature. And that's very Paul Chick. I can remember, you know, just going to some great education, and each one of them were taking a very different approach to being well. Mm-hmm. And Paul had gone through his little transformation of former bodybuilder into mm-hmm. wellness expert, and he was just like, "Take your shoes off and walk in the mud."
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we all sat there going, "What? What is he talking about?"
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now we know that walking in the mud is a really, really good strategy. Walking barefoot in the grass is a really good strategy towards wellness. And, you know, getting back to that initial global belief system that the healthiest athletes will be the happiest athletes and the highest performing athletes. And that is sometimes it's like, take your shoes off. Let's go w- run around in the in the grass. And the athlete's like, what? You're you're absolutely nuts. Mm. Maybe I am, but that that was a good session, wasn't it?
0: But, you know, I noticed you're wearing an aura ring on your on your finger there, and I'm a big fan of the whoop. I mean, you know, it's a personal choice. I think they're both as good as each other, but they're great for sleep tracking, but measuring HRV. And one of the things that I noticed with clients that were doing long haul flights and going through time zones is that, These are hard-charging individuals. They get off a plane. They've gone, you know, maybe they're going to the US, so they're flying and they're getting there in the morning and then they've got a whole day to kill before meetings. It's like, right, I've got a two-hour run on my program, so I could fit that in, you know, when I've just landed. I'm like, whoa, you know, look at your HRV. It's it's gone through the floor. We need to restore some balance. We need uh, autonomic nervous system rebalancing and all that stuff. What I'd like you to do is go to the park and do exactly what you said. I'd like you to... Walk amongst the trees. There's a lot of research about that, you know, being amongst nature and being amongst the trees. And I'd like you to take your shoes off. Make sure the grass is in, it has got good integrity, and there's nothing that's going to be nasty that's going to get stuck in your foot. And then just walk gently on the grass and breathe. And back to your, back to your breathing, uh, you know, practices. And just get some sunshine. And then try and get back into the time zone for eating at the right time. And then go to bed early. And then you'll feel a million dollars the next day. A run's going to be great, you know, because you'll be able to tick it off and get a green box in Training Peaks. But actually, in terms of benefit for your fitness, probably isn't going to be, isn't going to be that good.
1: Yep, well said. We are learning more and more every day. It's exciting time to be alive right now, and I'm sure it's only going to get scarier and better. I don't know, more, more. Sometimes it's just more.
0: Erin, and you've been very gracious with your time. I appreciate that, so thank you very much. Um, to summarize, then you've given some fantastic lessons today. It'd probably be difficult to summarize it in a few words. But if if you were going to if you were going to summarize some key takeaways for people, could do you think you could do that in a couple of short sentences? I
1: think the my my biggest piece of advice is to take a long-term process view of of anything worth having takes a little bit of time. You cannot rush the process. You cannot rush. Tissue adaptation, and so patience. And to Dr. Peter Atia, who I, I maybe I'll meet him someday. Who knows? But the, the biggest thing is to fall in love with the process
2: mm-hmm. and to
1: recognize it's it's more of a journey than a destination. Um, I do think that holding coaches accountable uh, is is really important. Um, people ask sometimes, how do you know if you're actually progressing? Like I, next year in 2023, will not have one race to measure whether or not i'm getting better. How do i measure if i'm getting better? And that's why i'm an Oura Ring fan and that's why, you know, i i just believe that the measuring sticks of life really are is happiness, how well you're sleeping because if you're relaxed, everybody if you asked them, do you want to be hyper and crazy or would you like to be relaxed? Most mm-hmm. people will say relaxed. Mm-hmm. And so if i can help people be peaceful and find find peace in what they're doing daily and Kindness to others and stuff like that. There's all these intangibles that can lead to just exquisite performance. I mean, I, I can't say enough about the athletes that I have the chance to work with. And, and the the one that just stands out for me so many times right now is Taylor. Because Taylor Nib is, is just on this up-and-coming thing. And every single race, Taylor hands me a handwritten thank you card. Wow. And... I learned from Taylor, she might be only 24 years old, but I'm like, you know what a, what that meant to me as a coach, but the process that she has put into her performance mm. is far beyond swim, bike, run. She, she treats everybody who she comes in contact with, with so much kindness and, and truth about Tim and Rennie as well. I think that they are just some of the kindest humans I've ever met. And, mm-hmm. So this appreciation for your team, build being careful to build your team, uh, not being not being afraid to be to fail, um, you know, and just be a good person, you know. That's that's what I that's what I value in the relationships that I've built. I'm, I'm older than most people now, and I, the wins are great. I love celebrating progress and i love championships and i love medals and all of that and it'll come if it's meant to come so enjoy the process that's probably my my best advice
0: i'm going to uh, uh, that's been a brilliant summary but i i do think that I, i'd like to go back to also what you said about being the healthiest human you can be because you can build amazing performances on top of that if you are and focus on that yes sir Erin it's been fabulous thank you. Uh, once again thank you for being so gracious with sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your insight into the strength and, you know, conditioning of athletes and beyond. It's been it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you. Thank you and I do hope we get a chance to have you back on the show in the future. Thank you Simon. Thank you again to Erin for being a great guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, you can find links to The majority of today's discussion topics in the show notes below and to make sure that you don't miss any episode in the future please go to itunes search for high performance human triathlon podcast and press the subscribe button please don't forget to check out the link for adding your name to the list for the nutrition program starting in january and that's all for now thank you for listening as always have a great week and i will see you on the next episode